I want you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me in the Bible to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, that's going to be the passage of Scripture that we dive into for these next few minutes. We're continuing this series, Unwrapped. And today, as I often do, I begin with a question. Do you ever struggle with a fear of failure? Uh, It may be in an assignment that you have. It could be in your job, relationship, even the relationship of marriage, your faith. I remember coming through my educational process, this reoccurring dream that I would have. And this dream would be that I would get to the end of the period. I, I did it in high school. I dreamed to get in college. I did it again in seminary. And I would dream that it was the time for me to graduate. And yet there, there was some class that I'd forgotten to attend. And, and so when I was supposed to graduate, I didn't. I failed. And that fear of failure, it would still be with me when I would wake up. What if there were something in life that you could say, I can hold on to this. This will never fail. It's fail-proof. That's what we're going to talk about today. And one of the more familiar verses in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, it says, love never fails. But let's back up. We've been talking about spiritual gifts. Let me remind you what those spiritual gifts are. They are divine or God-given abilities that enable you, a follower of Christ, to serve and to minister for the glory of God. We believe that when you become a follower of Christ, God gifts you not only salvation. He gifts you not only the Holy Spirit. He gifts you spiritual gifts. But spending my life around people like us, around churches, I've recognized that a lot of people never unwrap the gifts given by God. They never utilize them. Maybe they never discover them. And and, and so we're trying to help you recognize that when you unwrap your gift, life is more enjoyable for you. You find more fulfillment. You, You feel like you're making a difference. When you unwrap your gift, not only life is more enjoyable for you, but the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is built up. It's always edified. It's made better because we need each other. And when you unwrap your gifts, you discover that Jesus is always exalted. Because here's what happens. People begin to see God at work through you. That really is the design. That's why God gives us these gifts that make a difference in our world. We even spent some time discovering that from Romans chapter 12, it's implied that there are some gifts that every church needs. There's a multitude of gifts in Scripture, but some of these gifts every church needs. And and I believe every Christ follower is really motivated by one of these spiritual gifts. Do you remember what they were? It was prophecy and serving and teaching and exhortation and and giving and leadership and mercy. And, And we ask you to begin to think about those gifts and And to wonder, what gift do I have? And and so today we've given you a practical tool to help you do that. And if you don't like paper, there's even one of these QR codes that you can use your phone, take a picture, and fill this out online. But we're asking every one of you to to just take a stab at this and, and say, what do I think my gifts that are my primary driving gifts may be? You can take this with you or you can deposit it with us. You can put it in one of the giving towers or leave it in your seat. 
You can fill this out online. And then we want you to not only circle that, but to circle where in the Lord's church you think you feel a, a drive to use that gift. Because we want to see you enjoy life more. We, we want to see the church edified, and we want to see Jesus exalted. So some of you are saying, well, now, what if I don't know? How do I find this out? You begin just by asking some questions. Where's your passion? What are you passionate about? When, when you find yourself talking about the things of God, what are you passionate about? Where do you find fulfillment? What do you enjoy doing? Some of you may have a talent as a, a communicator, but it's not your spiritual gift to be a biblical teacher. And, and so because you communicate well, you've been a part of a church and you're always thrown into that teaching role and you think, I don't like this. And we don't want that for you. The, the reality is when you live your life out that way, you begin to kind of burn out because you're doing it in the flesh. You're not doing it in the spirit. So what brings you that fulfillment? What encourages you? And where do you seem to be effective? What do you do that when you do it in your spiritual journey, others are looking at you and, and they're encouraged by that? Or maybe they encourage you. Now, if you want a little bit of deeper uh, journey in this, we have a class that's specifically designed to help you discover your gifting. And you're in luck because the next one is beginning this Wednesday evening. We would love for you to be a part of that here on our central campus and experience how to discover your spiritual gift. But here's what I know. At Mission Hill, at this church, we want every Christ follower to unwrap, unwrap their gifts and get involved serving the church for the glory of God. That's our design. So this isn't just a, a message series that's supposed to entertain you or to inform you. This is supposed to equip you to get out of your seats and serve in the body of Christ. But before we can do that, we need to be aware of something. Paul has this big discussion to the church at Corinth about spiritual gifting. And he's addressing a problem that's clear. And after he talks about all these different gifts at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he says this, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, eagerly desire the greater gifts. But then he finishes by saying this, and just now I'll show you the most excellent way. I hope you're following along in chapter 12 because you see that at the end of the passage. I'll show you the most excellent way. What is the excellent way? It's as if Paul was saying, hey, before you proceed, before you do your part as the body, because remember he said we're all part of the body. Some of you are a big toe. Some of you are a nose. Some of you are ear. Some of you are arm. Some of you are hand. Some of you are internal organs. We're all part of the body. But before you begin to live out your role in the body, make sure, stop before you proceed. I think God was trying to remind me of this principle this week. Because... As I was doing my morning routine, uh, early in the morning, taking my daughter to school, um, I dropped her off. I had 
come back through, I was just, I have a routine. I was listening to a podcast that I always listen to after I dropped her off from school. I was back into my neighborhood. I, I, I just had two turns and I would be at my house. I could almost see my house from where I was. And so I made my way around that first turn and, and then I noticed something. I noticed there was flashing behind me and it was very colorful there were lots of lights. And I'm thinking, what's going on? What's happening here? It's early in the morning. And then I realize I'm being pulled over. And I can see my house. And I know that where I'm being pulled over is right between two church members' houses. And so I'm panicking. I, I roll down the window and, and I start making hand gestures that now I recognize the officer had no way of knowing what I was saying because I was just pointing to my house and as if I was pleading from within, can I just go to my driveway to, to talk to you? But so I finally just stopped. And this kind Temple Terrace police officer walked up and said, Sir, you know why I pulled you over? <laughs> no, ma'am. She said, you didn't stop at that stop sign. Now, you know what went through my mind? I instantly began to think, ma'am, do you know how many bad people do bad things around here? I think they sell drugs, not just around that corner. I'm confident that I sometimes worry about my children or my dog if he's out because people speed down this street. And I just didn't come to a complete stop and you're pulling me over at 7.45 in the morning. And, and then it hit me. She was just doing her job. I hadn't done what I was supposed to do. That little red sign doesn't mean just slow down and continue on your journey. It means stop before you proceed. And that what, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying before you go out into the world as the body of Christ, using these gifts, stop and understand this. And notice what he says next. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm only a re resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and, and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It, it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. 
Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully. Even as I'm fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we have gathered for the purpose of encountering you. So we've just read your perfect word. Words that have withstood centuries and millennia. These particular words are words that are familiar even to those who don't understand who you are and how you expressed love to us. And the reality is, Lord, these particular words are words that even in the church are are often not very well applied. So help us. Give us what we need that we don't have. Teach us those things we need to learn that we don't know. And most of all, Jesus... Transform us into your image more so today because we have been here. Lord, I I pray that today someone would understand the love of God and what that means. Draw someone to yourself, Jesus. Help them recognize that you love them in spite of who they are and what they've done and allow them to experience salvation. And so, Lord, I pray that the words I say and even my thoughts would be pleasing to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why would Paul say, after outlining all these gifts and and sharing the importance of using your gift, why, why would he say that love was the most excellent way? What's he teaching us? Well, I want us to back up and understand something. So let me just ask, if you agree with some assumptions. As as we read Scripture, we believe Jesus is God, right? Okay. And and we do that. Let me just back that up biblically. Matthew 1, 23, the virgin shall be with child and, and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So even before Jesus is born, we're told he is God. Then when he comes, he says in John 8, 58, I I tell you the truth, he answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Yeah, that one got him in trouble. How about this one, John 10, 30? He says, I and the Father are one. Just a reminder, that is what got the Jews mad. It wasn't the healing. It wasn't the miracles. It wasn't the promise of salvation, really. It was that he claimed to be God And so he forgave sin. 
Paul teaches us that the early church embraces for in Colossians 2.9, it says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in the bodily form. So Jesus is God. That's our first agreement. Um, Second thing, we believe biblically that God is love, right? (laughs) Let's back that one up. We believe biblically that God is love, right? Yeah, of course. And, and we draw that from 1 John 4, 8. Uh, whoever does not love does not know God because, let's say it together, God is love. So just think about something. If Jesus is God and God is love, therefore, if we want to be Christ-like, we must be loving. Now, by the way, if the Christ-like life is love... What is the anti-Christ-like life? It's hate. The opposite of love is hate. Some would say indifference, but I, I think hate. So I tend to agree with my friend, Pastor Jim Simbla. I look at our world, the division, the hatred that we see everywhere, even in the church, I think we're living in the days of the spirit of the Antichrist. Because it's not the spirit of Christ that we see. And and so this is vitally important. This passage is essential for these days. So back to Paul, he's reminding the Corinthian church that it's possible to use the spiritual gifts, but not do it in a loving way. It's possible to use them in the flesh. And when you use those gifts in the flesh, they become useless. I mentioned to you, uh, for most of my adult life, as I've kind of examined my spiritual gifting, it always lands uh, on that gift of prophecy, which is one who speaks forth the truth of God, not afraid, not ashamed to, to tell the truth of God, kind of bold. What happens when I walk in the flesh? Well, I can come across as harsh or uncaring. Man, guess what? I'm... I'm still under construction. He's still working on me to make me what I, I want to be. And so there's a lot of times I have to apologize because I, I, I see how I've come across, even though I may not have attended that way, even though some of that is my makeup, it's the flesh and it's wrong. And, and we have to be aware of that. So Paul explains that in verse 1. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Uh, imagine... Imagine if our drummer would have stayed in his little cage back there, and then the whole time I was talking, he just stayed on the cymbal, or he just rang a gong. How would you be able to concentrate? How would you be able to focus? What would you be zeroed in on? It would be that sound. And Paul's saying, if you do the greatest things, but you don't have love, it's just noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge. And then notice this. If I have the faith to move mountains. But I have not love, I'm nothing. What about this? If I give all I possess to the poor and and surrender my body to the flames. But I have not love, I gain nothing. So he introduces this most excellent way by telling us about the primacy of love. This is the thing. 
This is the big deal. This is what he wants you to stop. And notice. So what is love? Is it that feeling that you feel when you feel a feeling you never felt before? Is it what we see represented on the stage and the screen? Is, is it what we hear streamed and recorded? Is it like the songs say? Love is a feeling. Love is a mini-splendored thing. Love is all you need. Love lifts us up where we belong. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. I mean, is that where we're going to rest? Most of you know in the Greek New Testament, there were three words for love. There was the phileo love, which was a brotherly love. We get the city of Philadelphia's name from that, the city of brotherly love. There's eros, which was more a sensual, erotic love. We get our word erotic from that, and we think about more sensual things. And then there's the word agape. And Paul uses that word agape here, which means a deep, abiding, self-sacrificing love. And so what is he saying? You can have right theology, believe the right things. You can have good religious practices, do the right things. You can have deep emotion. You can even feel the right things. But if you don't have love, Then he gives us the most extreme example. His last two examples are pretty easy to understand. If I gave everything I had to the poor, I mean, on this side of heaven, we look at that and think, now that's a loving person. But listen, he says, if I gave everything I had to the poor, but I didn't love, doesn't mean anything. And then, notice it, read it again. If I burn at a stake, implied because he had talked about this, even because of his faith. So even martyrdom, paying that ultimate price, if it's done with the wrong motivation, if it's not done out of love, it's nothing. And what he's saying, this is a big deal. He's saying everything minus love equals nothing. So you've got to understand the primacy, the place of love and what it should be in our life. But he doesn't stop there, right? Fortunately, he gives us the particulars of love. <laughs> we don't have to wonder what love looks like. So some of you, if, if I were to come up and we were to have a private conversation, and I would say, are you a loving person? Some of you would instantly say, yeah, I think I am. Because that's easy because, like I've said, the, the definition is so broad. We've defined love from songs, from, from movies, from seventh grade relationships, from, hey, I, I love that steak, or I, I love those flowers. And so if I were to ask you if you're loving, a lot of you would say, yeah, but let's look at these particulars. Look at them again. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. So let's just go through that real quick. This is a test. If, if I were listening, and I am, but if I were listening and not talking... I would probably write these down because it would be like a checklist. I and mean, that's what I did as I prepared this. I, I just thought about 
how I'm doing as a husband, how I'm doing as a father in these days where our mom is in our house, how I'm doing as a son, how I'm doing as a pastor. And it's like, it's like an expose. It, it, it reveals things. So love is patient. Are, are you patient? It's easy to say, I am loving, but can you say, I am patient? If I followed you around, would I agree? <laughs> kind. Love is kind. Are you kind? Some of you know one of my favorite quotes is, a Christ follower never has the liberty to be unkind. And you know what that means? That means you can't say, that's just the way I am. Or you can't say, you took that wrong. <laughs> no, sometimes it means we have to say, I'm sorry, because what I didn't say is a Christ follower will never be unkind. Remember, we're under construction. He's still working on us. And so sometimes we have to apologize and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Love does not envy that means you look at other people and you're jealous over what they have or what they are. Oh, goodness, two things that I think can just ruin any believer's life is comparison and competition. Comparison will make you think less of yourself than you should, and, and competition will tempt you to think more of yourself than you should. Don't envy. Love does not boast. It is not proud. Are you prideful? It's not rude. So not only it is kind, it's not rude. It's not crass. It's not disrespectful, inconsiderate. Love is not self-seeking. Church, we're eat up with this. We, we promote ourselves, and, and social media has just... It's just made this unreal. It's like it's okay to promote ourselves. It makes me think about Diotrephes in, in 3 John. And in 3 John, he, he says this about, and then there's Di Diotrephes who always has to be first. Have you bought into that lie because you've listened to a motivational speaker or, or you've thought that's the American way, that you just got to take care of yourself? If you're not taking care of number one, no one else is. It's not loving. It's not easily angered. Are you short-fused? If you're married, I want to challenge you. Not right now. <laughs> But ask your spouse, am I short-fused? Love keeps no record of wrongs. That's another one of my favorite things I'd like to tell you. As a, a pastor, not only do I blow it, and I've told you that already, sometimes I get hurt, right? I remember someone asked Adrian Rogers, hey, near the end of his life, the great pastor of Bellevue Baptist in Memphis, Tennessee, they, they said, What's the hardest thing in ministry? He said, no question. The hardest thing is you, you pour your life into people, and, and uh, maybe you're there when their baby's born. You're, you're there at the marriage, or you're, you're there at the death of the parents. And, 
then they get mad over something dumb like the music you sing or the clothes you wear and they, they leave the church and they, they try to hurt you and take others with them on the way out. And he said, man, that, that hurts, but, but you can't let it get you down. So years ago, I, I began to pray, uh, uh, Lord, give me a short memory of offense. And he answered the prayer, but he, he misunderstood. He just gave me a short memory. I can't remember anything. But, but maybe you need to pray that. Just be specific. God, give me a short memory of offense. What about this? Does not delight in evil. What does that mean? You don't kick others when they're down. You see, if we understand all that we've been talking about, that it takes all of us and that we're all under construction, we're going to blow it. And here's what happens often. When you blow it, if anybody knows it, you pull away because you're embarrassed. And because you've seen what the church often does. It's been said the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. I've seen that a lot of times we don't just shoot them, we kick them when they're on the battlefield. And so, man, we're determined not to do that, but, but, but you need to determine not to do that. You know, when you see a pastor or a, a church leader or, or, or someone out in the community fall, don't, don't point that out and celebrate that. Do you know that they say when a turkey gets a cut and begins to bleed, the other turkeys around them will see the blood and start pecking at the blood on that turkey until they kill that turkey. What's the moral of that story? Don't be a turkey. Understand that. And then notice what it says. Protects and trust and hopes and perseveres. As a married man, I think of those things, and I, I just think about what they mean. Man, if I love my wife, I'm always going to want to protect her. I'm never going to be putting her down or let her be seen in a bad light. I'm not going to be passive-aggressive toward her, and I'm going to trust her. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to assume the best, not the worst. I'm going to hope in her, and then I'm going to persevere I'm not going to walk out. Oh, did I say I was talking about my wife? Well, Jesus has a bride too, right? Who's the bride of Christ? We are. So love protects the church. So when you go home and you talk negative about your church or your children grow up and, and they hear what you say about your pastor or a program or, or the worship or, or something at your church that you don't like, do you really think that the God of the universe is going to cause those children to fall in love with the church that they hear you criticizing? Protect the church. Trust your church. You say, well, some churches aren't trustworthy. That's right. That's why you look in God's Word. Hold it up against God's Word, as we said last week, and test it. But as you test it, then trust it and hope. Believe the best for your church. That's loving. And then persevere. Don't walk out on your church. 
Wow, how are you doing on the particulars? So we, we started with the primacy of love, and, and then Paul gives us the particulars of love. And you're probably thinking, I, I can't do this. That's what I'm thinking when I read this. Because when I read that list, I'm thinking, I'm a failure. All right, the, the question I begin with, I'm thinking, I, I, I fail at these things daily. I can't do it. And to that, I would say, you're correct. That's why we need Jesus, right? Look at 1 John 4. 1 John 4 and verse 9, it says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, say Jesus, into the world that we might live how? Through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another and God lives in us, His love is made complete in us. In other words, they see Him in us. So let me take a time out of this message and just remind you of what we focus on every time we gather together. We are poor, pitiful people on our own. You were born in such a way that if left unaddressed, your life will miss out on the most important thing it needs. Because you, like me, were born a sinner, and that sin is not just the things you do, it's who you are. It's your nature. That's why we keep going back to it. That's why when we overcome one area of sin, there's this other thing that peeks in. That's our nature. We're, we're prone to wander, as the old gospel song says. And the Bible says that sin has to be punished, and the punishment for sin is death. And then the Bible says that God doesn't want that for you. And that's the whole reason that Jesus came, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him does not have to have death, does not perish, but has forever life. And so Jesus died for our sin. He was buried. Three days later, he rose to show that he has power over sin and death, so he could give you both forgiveness and life. That's good news. That's how you love, <laughs> not in yourself. If you're not a follower of Christ, you can never tackle this list. Man, it, it'll eat your lunch every day. It's not easy even for those of us who follow Jesus, but without Jesus, it's impossible to love like this because you've not experienced his love in you. So I want you to bow your heads just for a moment, right, right before we get to the end of this message. And, and I, I want you to do me a favor. Right where you are, in this room, in the other rooms, online, listening. If you know for certain that you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, that you've experienced his love, you've internalized that, and you're living it out in your life. If you know You've got a relationship with Jesus. Would you just lift up your hand wherever you are right now? You lift it up and put it right back down, okay? Put it right back down. 
in every place where this is heard. There's some people who couldn't raise their hands. So my question for you would be, would you like to have that relationship with God? This is what the Bible says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, in other words, that he did what the Bible says he did, you can be saved. What are you saved from? You're saved from your sin, and you're saved from that punishment of death. So right where you are, I'm going to encourage you right now to, to maybe pray a prayer to God, something like this. Just, maybe you would just say, Jesus, just you and him, just say, Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness. I believe you died for me, and I know you're alive today. So I receive your forgiveness. I, I turn from doing things my way. And today I begin to follow you. Thank you for changing me, Jesus. Now, now before I, I end this prayer, I want to give you guys that just prayed that prayer a chance to do what I asked a moment ago because you have met those biblical qualifications if you began that relationship with, with Jesus right now by praying a prayer like that or a prayer in your own words. So if that's you, would you do me a favor? If you just began that relationship with Jesus right where you are, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, would you just lift your hand up? Let me welcome you to God's family. That's awesome. Welcome to God's family. Uh, others of you in the room, welcome to God's family. That's great. Father, I thank you that even today you're changing lives forever. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you do me a favor and would you celebrate that God is changing lives even here today? But here's what I've seen Christ followers like us ask for a lifetime. Will it last? Is this the kind of love that lasts? We've talked about the primacy of love. We've talked about the particulars of love. Here Paul talks about the permanence of love. Look at those last verses again. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. What's he saying? There's going to be a day when all of these gifts will not be needed. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. Church, Jesus is coming back. The, the same Bible that teaches us that, that Jesus came and was born of a virgin says to us that we, like the Jews of the Old Testament, should anticipate the coming of the Christ. For us, it's the second coming. And when He comes, we won't need all those gifts we've been using. But we still need love. He says, when I was a child, I, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. I, when I became a man, I, I put aside childish things. We have five children, and, and now for the fifth time, I'm, I'm trying to teach this life lesson. The things that were cute at a certain age 
becomes silly when you're a little older and become unwanted when you're even older. We have to grow up. I've been around church people all my life. And I can remember as a child watching even senior adults who were supposed to be my mentors in the faith and seeing the things that they did and the ways that they acted and thinking as a child, that's childish. Why? Because now we see a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. I I think we forget that. I mean, I really do. I think I forget that. When I make sinful choices, when I'm not loving, it's as if I don't remember, I'm going to see Jesus. (laughs) Do you realize that? It's not just getting a ticket out of hell. It's recognizing that we will stand before Jesus. And and the Bible makes it so clear. We're going to give account even for the idle words that we've not confessed to him. And then he says, and now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. The graces. These are the, the general graces. The common grace. Faith. We need faith that helps us with our past. We need hope that gives us a reason to live in the future. And then love. But notice he says, but the greatest of these is love. Why? There's going to be a day you don't need faith anymore. (laughs) Just think about that. Some of you are going through some big stuff and you just got to trust. There's going to be a day you don't need faith. There's going to be a day you don't have to hope anymore. But this gift of love is eternal. So we better get busy practicing. Like the lady that was determined she was going to divorce her husband. So she went to the divorce attorney and he said, well, we can do this pretty quick. And she said, no, I don't want to just get out. I want to get even. And he said, well, let me tell you what you can do. Why don't you go home and you act like you love him? You wake him up gently in the morning and you bring him some coffee. You, you cook him some breakfast. When, when he gets ready to go out to work, before you leave, you make sure you give him a, a big kiss. and You tell him you love him. If you ever get home before he does, you, you make sure you're waiting for him and prepared. If he gets home before you, you, you make sure when you show up, the first thing you do is you just go in and tell him how good it is to see you. And spend some time over the next month and y'all go out and do some things special. Go on a walk and even hold his hand. I bet you hadn't done that in a long time. Hold his hand. Just look him in the eyes. Wink at him from time to time. Just make him think you care. She said, that's great. He's not going to know what's coming. I'm going to do that and then I'll drop the bomb. And so she went home. About two months later, she had not come back into the attorney. So he said, I think I'm going to call her. So he called and said, hey, I noticed it's been uh, two months and I hadn't heard from you. What's up? You ready to tell him? Did you tell him? She said, no. That motion created emotion. And now I realize I'm in love with him. I'm not leaving.
I'm right where I need to be. You know, for some of you where you're falling short in this area, what you need to do is do the things you want to do. And let's, let's see how God uses that. Well, it's going to be hard this side of heaven, <laughs> but we might as well start practicing now, right? Unwrapping the gifts. What if you lived your life and you never unwrapped these gifts God's given you? And how does that make our generous Father feel? I'm wearing some gifts today. I'm wearing a watch. My friend Ray Rod over here, he heard that I love watches. And next thing I knew, he's handing me a watch. I'm wearing these shoes. My, my friend Franz over here, he's, he's, a, he's a designer. He gave me these shoes. I wear them all the time. About to get a hole in them, Franz. But uh, I love them. You know what? I'm even wearing some cologne my wife gave me for Christmas. You know, I want all of them to know I love those gifts. And I'm using them on the most important day of my week. What about you? Are you using your gifts for God's glory? Because when you do, you'll understand his gifts are fail-proof. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. Uh, we thank you for your amazing love for us. And we ask simply that in these moments of reflection, you would begin to work in our life in a clear and a manifest way to build your church. Before I say amen, I want to deal with those of us who are Christ followers, but we're dealing with conviction. I want to remind you of what Scripture says in 1 Peter. Love covers a multitude of sins. So some of us have recognized some things, even as followers of Christ, we just need to repent of today. And as we worship, as we sing about the amazing love of God, I want you to celebrate that God is not just a God of love, but because of that love, He forgives us when we come to Him. Let's apply this truth to our life today. Thank you, Father. Your love is amazing. We worship you now. In the name of Jesus, amen.